Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's, or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles, and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. For those of you who listened to the last episode, you know that I decided what the subject of this topic or this episode would be more than 24 hours ago. And the reason I say that is because I received a tweet from a fellow Cincinnatian earlier today that he is worried about my obsession with LeBron James. He wrote, in part, Your obsession with LeBron James is kind of weird and strange, man. You're getting beside yourself a bit, man. Taper it back a bit, man. Now, I always wonder when I see something written like this, did they use Siri or dictation to write that? It's the man repetition that makes me think that. I have a friend who once ran off the road and sent his van airborne through a chain link fence because he was texting and driving. And ever since that experience, he's used voice dictation. The thing is, he doesn't look at what has been dictated before he hits send. I guess that would kind of defeat the purpose. You're, you're dictating and then you look down to read it and... You kind of have the same problem. So I understand why he does that. But for those of us who are on his text string, we are often left to decipher exactly what he sent us. The other part of the tweet that tickled me is the idea that I have an obsession with LeBron because I happened to talk about him on a sports talk show earlier today. I am an NBA analyst and writer, And LeBron James has been the most consistently 
big talked about name in basketball for nearly the last two decades. I'm telling you, it, I just, it tickles me because I, it's not just by me, by everybody. And I wonder if the same guy has that tweeted at me is watching ESPN and has sent Rachel Nichols or Stephen A or Brian Windhorse or Jeff Van Gundy, similar tweets. Like I'm really about, I'm really worried about you, man. You are talking an awful lot about LeBron, man. I just don't think it's healthy for you, man. I suppose that tweet caught my attention as well because I've actually tried to limit how much I talk about LeBron because I know that there is a lot of LeBron chatter out in the universe. And at least I feel as if I've tried to talk about him when I have something unique to offer on him which is not easy considering all the coverage he has received all these years. I don't want to give in to the fact that anytime you do mention LeBron or LeBron's name is mentioned in a headline or a title, that it's an automatic number of clips, uh, clicks rather, because there's, because he's a polarizing figure. There are those who love him and there are those who hate him. And generally, there aren't a whole lot of people that are ambivalent about LeBron. They feel some kind of way, which makes him a fascinating subject, which is why he ends up getting talked about so much. And and he contributes. He's not a shrinking violet by any, by any means. And while being a big figure, he does a lot of things that I think for, I don't know if it's the majority, but a certain healthy faction of NBA fans scratch their heads over. So I also don't have much choice in a lot of instances as I did earlier or didn't have earlier today when I co-hosted Speak for Yourself. I will be, by the way, doing that all week. And LeBron was part of two different segment topics. And we as hosts don't select the topics. We can occasionally get one introduced or dropped if we have a strong enough reason to do so, but that doesn't happen very often. And I generally don't have a problem with it because the people in charge of selecting topics and framing questions are really good at it. I'd like to think, though, if you reviewed my podcasts and my stories that I've written and compared them to other NBA-centric podcasts and clip files, you'd find that I'm not fixated on all things LeBron. But having said all that, this podcast is going to be about something I recognized that LeBron is doing now that he's never done before. And it's a transformation that I saw Kobe Bryant make at right around the same stage of his career, which was publicly presenting flowers to his rivals. I once approached Kobe about, I don't know if I've ever told this story, I once approached Kobe about doing a book together. And while I knew there was a lot of juicy behind-the-scenes stuff about his life and coming to age that would make for a riveting tell-all book and that people were really wanted to know about everything that happened in Colorado, I also well knew he wouldn't ever want to do a book like that. So, and I don't know that I necessarily wanted to do that book either. Uh, 
The book I proposed was about his training secrets, how he developed them, how he applied them, who he learned them from, etc. This was at a time when he was, there was this, all this, this sort of secrecy shrouded around his getting up and training at 4 a.m. and have blacking out the windows of the gym and all these kind of things that gave this air of secrecy and going into the lab and creating the monster that became the Mamba. The making of Mamba's lair, something like that. And he scoffed when I pitched it, laughed derisively, like, I'm not letting anyone know my secrets, he said. Why would I ever want to help my competitors? Why would I ever want to lose that edge? And I joked with him at the time that I was asked all the time by young aspiring writers interested in covering the league or being on TV how I got to where I was and that I was happy to tell them because while they were working on getting to where I was or I was at that point, I'd be working on getting to the next level. And I said, because I knew it would irk him, imagine that. I'm more confident than Kobe effing Bryant. <laughs> anyway, he laughed and that was that. We didn't continue the conversation about the book. About two years later, he asked me what I thought of him writing a book and described the exact same one I suggested that he scoffed at. And he wasn't asking me to write it. He planned to do that himself. But he told me with absolutely no recognition or acknowledgement that we talked about it previously, or that his attitude had changed, which quite clearly it had. He, and he described it. I want to leave a legacy for the guys. I want to, I want to leave a, a manual for the guys coming up behind me on what I did and how I did it, to hand that off. We also had another conversation some point along that time about Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. And I had heard that when they were all on the U.S. national team together, Kobe had been shooting at one end of the court and they were at the other. And he said something to the effect that he was not worried about ever losing to them. And I believe I mentioned that rumor in a story. And he called me to say that he had never said anything like that, that he had the utmost respect for both Russ and KD. And he was genuinely upset that I would have suggested it. Now, keep in mind, these were the kind of things that KD, I mean, excuse me, Kobe routinely said or felt or thought about opponents. He saw everybody else as a level below him. There was a healthy arrogance about Kobe earned no doubt but a healthy arrogance nonetheless this change of i want to recognize and respect the guys not only just coming up behind me but that are right here and that are thriving all of this was new because there was a time when he was con so consumed at proving that he was the best he saw everyone and anyone as a potential enemy standing in his way. Someone either to, that he had to prove that he was better than, like a Michael Jordan, or that he had to make sure that they, they never thought that they could actually compete with him. And he had to demonstrate 
that. So he wasn't about to give them any fuel for the fire to make them think that they were actually on his level. And he might throw out a compliment here or there, but it was always couched a certain way, and generally he had to be asked about a particular player. And he might say something, but it was never with the tone of uh, awe or over-recognition that would give the sense that they were on the same level. They were good at a particular part of the game, or they did something that he admired, but it was never a full-out acknowledgement that they were as good or better than him. No, sir. But when he and the Lakers turned a corner, and he realized that he no longer could realistically grade the success of a season strictly by whether or not he won a championship, he clearly softened. I'd say it was the last three, four years. And not unlike LeBron, it was at a point where the injuries started to pile up, where he just, he couldn't stay healthy. And I believe he started to think about his legacy and handing off the baton and realizing that if it came down to a battle royale with the young guns, the KDs and the LeBrons, that he no longer could be certain he'd come out on top, that his, his experience and his savvy wasn't enough to overcome the physical difference, the physical disadvantage that he was now at because of his age. You even started, started to see that at the end in how he engaged LeBron. He knew whose time it was, and it wasn't his anymore. LeBron was long like that too. He might acknowledge greats who played before him or greats who opted to play with him, but he wasn't about to talk up the greatness of Paul Pierce or Kawhi Leonard or Dirk Nowitzki or Steph Curry or anyone else he could consider a rival. He might show some love for Carmelo Anthony or Chris Paul, but they were within the circle of friends. They were part, and they were part of a club in which everyone acknowledged that LeBron was the king. LeBron was too busy trying to convince everyone else to see him that way to even dare suggest they might be able to compete with him. That's what hit me when I saw him recently tweet about the 2K ratings for Steph Curry and KD being too low. Or seeing him sit very visibly courtside watching the Suns and Bucks duke it out for this year's title. Or congratulating Team USA. Of course, had to throw out or retweet a video that showed him in one of his uh, rather outstanding performances with Team USA. Of course, let us just remind us there was a time, there was a time. Or when he congratulated Giannis for winning the title. Hell, he gave a shout-out to Gary Payton II for a summer league dunk, if I'm not mistaken. His Twitter feed is, and I don't follow it regularly, uh, I basically looked at it for the sake of this podcast, but his Twitter feed now is a regular stream of compliments and acknowledgments these days when he's not promoting a movie or a product or something that he's involved in. Now, LeBron has always had a soft side to him. There's no question about that. But it's one thing to serve as a mentor, to talk about Lonzo Ball or players that idolize you or don't pose a threat to your status. 
and another to have the humility to recognize a peer who is dominating the game or accomplishing something that they once would have had to go through you to accomplish. To complain that Kevin Durant and Steph Curry don't have the same 2K ratings that you have. That's a change. That's something that I don't know that LeBron would have done five, six years ago. And why do I bring any of this up? Because I believe LeBron, while he still might be good for a Twitter response about how not being named by any one of 10 executives in the league is the best player in the game is an affront, that he knows what time it is too. I actually believe he recognized that when he tried to hand the reins to Anthony Davis two years ago and talked up the idea of playing through him when they first joined forces. Ultimately, when we got to the bubble, LeBron had to take over again. Uh, he recognized, I believe, what Dwayne Wade did after his first year with LeBron in Miami, and they came up just short of a championship, that LeBron needed to take over to be the driving force of the team, not Dwayne. And for anybody out there who thinks that LeBron was always the driving force of that team, you're wrong. I don't know how else to put it. I was around it. I saw the transition. I saw Dwayne ask that of him. And lo and behold, came together next year and they beat the young Oklahoma City Thunder. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It speaks to the evolution of LeBron that... He didn't demand to be the driving force the way, say, Wade or Luka Doncic or Damian Lillard or Derrick Rose or any number of players less talented just naturally step into as if it's their birthright. And I, I mean this sincerely. Because LeBron is not built that way, because he's not naturally the feels like he's the driving force, that he always wants to be the facilitator, it is remarkable and a testament to just his overall talent that he became that or enough of that to win four championships. But at that time, LeBron had to be told by Wade, it's time. You need to be the one. You need to lead. Because as much as everyone wants to believe he led in Cleveland all those years before he came to Miami, he did not. He was the best player. He was the biggest talent. He was the biggest star. He was the guy who did the most interviews or had the most interview requests. And he had the most influence on the franchise. But that doesn't make for a leader. A leader assesses who everyone is and what they need and formulates a plan that is going to get the most out of everyone. Eric Snow and David Wesley and Zadrunas Ilgalskis 
were the leaders of the team that went to the NBA Finals and got swept by the Spurs. You can debate, debate that all you want. I was around that team a lot. LeBron just played. Even when he went back to Cleveland, if you ask the players on that team, they would point to guys like James Jones as the leaders of that team, as the moral compass, the emotional compass in the locker room. LeBron was just great, and he did a lot for everybody, but he wasn't the leader. And I dare say there was a time when LeBron wouldn't have dignified the 10 executives' lack of acknowledgement with a response. He would have dismissed it as 10 executives who don't know what they're talking about. Or he would have let someone take up the case for him in the media. And there certainly would have been any number of people happy to do that. Or a teammate. Or he simply would have gone out the first chance he had and put on a performance that proved, proved otherwise. I mean, at this point, the big social media statements about playoff mode activated and a storm brewing and getting more fuel from suggestions he's the washed king as if he didn't already have enough. That washed king phrase being one he came up with himself, by the way. All of those rings sort of hollow don't they? I'll repeat what I said on TV, a clip of which might have inspired the tweet from my fellow Cincinnatian concerned about the state of my mental health. That LeBron had a chance to show us he could still muster that old LeBron dominance against the Suns after Anthony Davis went down. He had three games to prove that he could still take over a game. And this is against a Suns team that, yes, second best record in the Western Conference, but they hadn't been to the playoffs in 10 years. Devin Booker had never been to the playoffs before. They were a young, young team outside of Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, but that's a guy that posed no problem guarding LeBron in the finals in the bubble when Jay was with the Heat. And what did LeBron do? He took twice as many threes as free throws attempted. And not because he was on fire from distance. In half of the six games, he shot 30% or worse from beyond the arc. Then again, he wasn't exactly locked in at the free throw line, shooting barely over 60%. My point is, he was not aggressive. He didn't impose his will, especially when you look at the size of the respective teams. Yes, there was DeAndre Ayton. Outside of that, LeBron James could physically or should have been able to physically dominate anybody on the Phoenix Suns that guarded him, including DeAndre Ayton. Just take him outside and go by him, as Giannis Antetokounmpo did in the finals. You would have thought, too, that with, without AD, he would have become more of a defensive presence, particularly in the paint. But no. He had two blocked shots for the entire series. Alex Caruso had twice that. LeBron was the leading scorer in exactly one game. He was never the leading rebounder. Now, he did a lead in assists four times, but he only reached double digits once. He had performances that were perfectly fine. It's just that we're accustomed to something better than that from LeBron. And if there was ever a time to give it one last shot, 
And again, we're talking about the first round of the playoffs against the Neophyte Suns. One of the last few games in that series would have been the time. It does not seem that high of a bar to clear. And if LeBron and the Lakers could have just got them questioning whether they were about to be upset in the first round after posting the second best record in the Western Conference, it could have got interesting. But the last three games never got that close. Now, I know. I know. It was just a year earlier. He was the finals MVP. And the Lakers were winning a championship. Why are we predicting the doom and gloom that LeBron sees the light at the end of the tunnel? And he finished last season on a sprained ankle. So he was compromised. LeBron will have yet another resurgence, especially now that he has all these future Hall of Famers around him. He'll make it all work again. That's what Lakers fans, LeBron fans, would like you to believe. But to believe that is to ignore that he has had major injuries two of the last three years when he's been remarkably injury-free for the better part of his career. And you can say Solomon Hill undercut him or do whatever. LeBron James was never in the position to suffer injuries like that and had seasons where he played far more minutes and played at a time in the league where the game was far more physical. So this idea that it was just an incident that happened and that it was Solomon Hill and it was a freak accident. Freak accidents, and I speak from experience, the older you get, the more often those freak accidents seem to happen because you just don't move the same way. You don't have the energy to clear the tricky spots on the floor or elsewhere. It also ignores that his statistics have been slipping for three years now, along with a noticeable decline in his postseason production over the last three times he's been there. If it weren't for his improvement shooting the three, the decline in his scoring would be stark. That's really transformed things. But LeBron shooting threes is not taking advantage of what makes LeBron so lethal, potentially. The other indicator for me is that he's just playing so nice with so many players he considered too great a threat to his throne to give any air or daylight to previously. Just like Kobe did once upon a time. With the end just around the corner. I only wish Kobe were here so I could check in with him about that transition. And maybe that's at the heart of it. It's, you talk about LeBron, you can't end up talking about Kobe and vice versa. And if there was ever a time that we could revisit that or that I could revisit it, then this is the time to do it. So let's end it there with a happy birthday wish to a guy I believe we all can agree that we wish were still with us. One last note. It will be quite some time before I devote another entire episode to anything LeBron-centric. I promise.
All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the next episode, I'm thinking we're going to take a look at the the odds of coming out, the lines of coming out on number of wins, uh, the over under for every team in the league. And there's been some there's some interesting. Uh, lines there and there's some interesting decisions by the odds makers and we'll break it all down to find the ones where I believe that they got it right and the ones where I believe that they're buying into the hype all that in the next episode in the meantime as always thanks for listening Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.